reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 31. Jesus is speaking. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the King will say to those at His right hand, Come, you that are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, and th- or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who were members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is a difficult text. It's appointed for this end of the year in the cycle of Matthew in this year A of the lectionary. And he comes at an ironic time for a preacher who just had to tell someone that they couldn't come back here. And let me tell you, that's been grating on my nerves. So you could pray for me around that and I would appreciate it. But sometimes we have to work to keep people safe and we're put in places that maybe conflict with our heart and our desire to serve Christ. And it becomes very difficult. There are two classic interpretations of this text. 
One is much older, and I'm going to call it the classical interpretation, and that is that the nations in this text refers to all of humanity. The least of these refers to those who suffer due to the injustices of the world. There are those who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, sick, in prison. And in this view, Jesus' story of judgment is a warning to us that how we treat those who are at least will determine or at least factor into the king's determination of who will enter into his kingdom. The second most common and more modern interpretation understands the nation's as a reference to those people who were neither Jews nor Christians. Not biological Christians, but people who are actually following Jesus. The least of these is said to refer to followers of Jesus who have gone out into those unbelieving nations to bear witness to his death and resurrection. The question that Jesus is then addressing is how were they treated How were they treated by the nations to whom they were sent to announce the good news? Those who cared for them will enter the kingdom. Those who did not will not. And I think both views are plausible as long as we keep in our mind that salvation is a free gift of grace and not something that we earn. It comes to us through faith. And keeping that in mind, both of those interpretations can inform us about Christ's desire for those who are least in this world, for those who are hungry, for those who thirst, for those who are alone, for those who are naked, and those who are oppressed. I think the chances are pretty good that every last one of us has had some kind of contact with someone who would fit into one of those categories. And this story of judgment invites us to take a sober look And how we have treated them. Have we served them or ignored them? Have we tried? I think the story also presents an opportunity to remember that without the grace of Jesus Christ, we are all really the least of these whom St. Paul told us were subject to the powers of sin and death. Without Jesus, we're all least. And so I find a common thread between these two most common ways of interpreting this parable. And it turns out that both the goats and the sheep react to the judgment of the king in the same way. They are surprised. Did you notice that? They are surprised at what he says to them. The sheep are surprised to learn that they somehow served the king, though they did not know it. And the goats are surprised to learn that they have ignored the king. They are both surprised to learn that the king identifies himself as and with those who are the least of these. Those that the world would judge as unvaluable. The sheep who were called the righteous respond, Lord, when did we see you? The king answered, saying that when they saw and cared for those who were poor and oppressed, they saw and cared for him. To them, the king says joyful words, come, inherit the kingdom. The goats who were called accursed reply in the same way, Lord, when did we see you? 
And the king's answer is that when they ignored those who were poor and oppressed, they ignored him. And to them, he says heartbreaking words. Depart from me. Both the sheep and the goats are surprised. The king's judgment affords them not only a clear view of themselves, but also of the king's heart for the least. They are shocked. One commentator said it can't be so for us. We can't be shocked by this. He says all people, whether they are Christians or not, know that they need to care for the least of these. The difference between followers of Jesus and those who do not know Jesus is that those who have seen Jesus no longer have any excuse to avoid the least of these. And how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, as Paul tells us in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated God's own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God himself, Christ died for us. While we were the least that there was, Christ died for us. So we know our king's heart for the poor and the oppressed, do we not? In this story, the king sits on his throne. Jesus is is the illusion there. He sits on a throne given to him by his father, a throne of glory and majesty. He sits to judge those for whom he purchased, those he purchased for the father by giving his life, every last one of us. And what we glimpse in this story is our king identifying with everyone for whom he died. If we follow him and love him and serve him, Does it not follow that we too would grow to love all who hurt, suffer, and feel alone? Is it really surprising that we would be held accountable for how we treated those for whom our king gave his own life? We have no excuses. We know that Jesus loves, cares for, and longs For all who were called least in this world, including ourselves, to come to him. It's for that reason that he allowed himself to be lifted on the cross. In some way, we all hunger, we all thirst, struggle with sickness, or feel alone. And it's good to know that our Lord identifies with us and loves us in our suffering. And to know that he expects us to identify with and serve others who suffer because we are his people. The kingdoms of this world usually build their kingdoms on the backs and blood of the poor and oppressed. You can check your history book for that. I'm not wrong. But it's not so in the kingdom of Christ. In this kingdom, the hungry and thirsty are fed and quenched. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, Jesus said. The stranger is welcomed as a friend. As Jesus said to his own servants, his own disciples, I no longer call you slaves. Instead, I have called you friends. Those who are alone are welcome into a community where they can love and be loved. Have you not experienced that here? Have you not found yourselves loved and loved and loved and given the opportunity to love others? Those who are naked are clothed. 
Those who have been stripped of righteousness by sin and death are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. In this kingdom, in this kingdom of Christ, the sin sick are healed and the sin oppressed are set free. Do we not know that church? Have we not seen it? Have we not been that person? I once went on a mission trip with some people and as we were being transported across the countryside, some of them were looking out the the window at the living conditions and I heard one of them said, we're here to bring Jesus to these people. And they meant well. But what we learned over the course of that week of serving people that most people would have refused to touch is we saw Jesus in that. We saw that Jesus was already there working and we were surprised. But we shouldn't have been. And what we learned is that every time we wormed a child, we were worming Jesus in a sense. Every time a surgeon sewed someone's hand up in the prison, we saw Jesus being served. If you want to see more and more of your King, Spend time caring for someone who is hungry, thirsty, alone, naked, sick, or oppressed. And in those moments, you will see the grace of Christ on display. Our Lord has built a kingdom for those people on his own back through the shedding of his own blood. If we refuse to serve them, we refuse that kingdom and there will be nothing for us but judgment. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. How could I refuse to serve those that Christ served? We cannot ignore the tension of judgment in this text. But I want you to know that serving and loving others just to get into God's kingdom is not Jesus' point. If we serve those reasons, we're really just serving ourselves We become that person that says, I like to give people gifts because it makes me feel good, right? Not because they love them. Jesus is not challenging us to go out and earn salvation or to earn our place in his kingdom. The writers of the New Testament have made it plain to us that salvation from sin and death is a gift from God, a free God without price for us. The price has already been paid by Christ. We are saved by grace through faith, Paul says. But Paul also says that we are created anew in Christ for good works which God prepared, listen to this, to be our way of life. We aren't delivered from sin and death to be the same as we were before we knew Christ. We are delivered for a new purpose. For the works that God has prepared. The way of life in the kingdom of God. The righteousness required to enter Christ's kingdom. Comes only through our faith in Christ and Christ's righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ himself that we receive. And that's why James has shown us that faith is followed by good works. Because we are changed and our hearts are changed. Our thoughts are changed. Our mind is changed. And then our faith becomes demonstrated by our care for the poor and oppressed in the world. And that care is a natural outflowing of Christ living in us.
The point of this story is to remind us that there are things the church does simply because we follow and seek to serve Christ due to our faith in Him. Like the sheep, we may be surprised to learn that when we serve those who are least, we are also serving Christ the King. To serve Him means to serve those He loves. Can you think of someone within your sphere of life that you think Christ is unable to love? To serve those whom He loves is to see Him, to know Him, to love Him, and to belong to Him. And we may be surprised where we find Him at work in the lives of other people. He calls us to come and join Him in serving those who are hungry, thirsty, alone, sick, and oppressed. And I want to tell you a story exactly what that looks like. Nine years ago, nine years ago Thursday, On a Thursday night before I was to preach on this exact same text, I attended visitation hours and a worship service at Bethel Colony of Mercy in Lenore, North Carolina. I was there at the invitation of a parishioner who was addicted to severe drugs and had gone there for help. Bethel Colony is a faith-based, well, Jesus-based addiction treatment and rehab ministry for men who are oppressed by drugs or alcohol. They teach the men about God's love for them and the freedom and new life that Christ offers them. Without question, the residents of that facility know what it is to be alone and oppressed to be numbered among the least of these, to be cast aside by people that they thought loved them and would stand by them no matter what. They have known the bare-knuckled beatdown and relentless self-loathing that comes with intense addiction. This story is about one of those men. In order to avoid blind references, I'll call him Blake. That wasn't his name. The person that I was visiting with told me that when Blake left his home to get help at Bethnal Colony, he left divorce papers from his wife on the kitchen table. As a last resort and a desperate attempt to preserve his family, this man had come to this place called Bethel, a Hebrew word which literally means house of God. What would it look like for us to be a people where people like Blake could come? to this house of God and seek freedom. After several prayers, the pastor called the men to come forward and pray to ask Christ for forgiveness, for mercy and new life. And Blake, I saw him get up and go forward to pray. He came to the two steps at the chancel there in the chapel and he fell to his knees and I heard the thump when he hit the floor and he collapsed on his forearms with his face to the carpet. And he began to pray. He was praying so hard that his body was shaking. 
His face was bright red from the stain and heat of painfully shed tears. His hurt was visible. I could feel it in myself. His desire for mercy was plainly evident. He wasn't playing around. He was in a life and death struggle in front of that room. I remember wanting to go to him, to hold him and cry with him. And after he had been there a few minutes, and I was wishing I had the courage to walk up in a strange place and hold a stranger, someone exactly whom Jesus is speaking about in today's text. As I was contemplating that, I saw movement out of the corner of my left eye. And a tiny little girl had gotten out of her seat. She was so very small. She started walking to the front of the chapel. I thought maybe she was responding to the the preacher's invitation to come up and pray. And I wondered, did she really understand what the preacher was saying? And I was moved by her trust and her faith. And then it happened. I suddenly realized what she was responding to. She wasn't responding to the pastor or the worship or the songs. The man oppressed by addiction who had fallen to the floor. Blake was her daddy. She walked up. Fell to her own knees with a thump. Put her forearms and face to the carpet. And took her place alongside her daddy. She stayed beside him the whole time he prayed. Praying as hard as she could. She didn't want her daddy to be alone in his hurt. What love that is. As I fought the urge to sob uncontrolledly there in the sanctuary, I thought again about this text, and I realized that what that little girl had done for her daddy, that God was showing everyone in the room what it looked like to love those who were the least of these. That's what it looked like to do what Jesus is asking us to do, to love the oppressed, to love those who were hurt, And love those who were alone. That little girl waded into a flood of hurt that I can't understand. Knelt beside her daddy and loved him. That's what it looks like to love those whom Christ our Lord loves. Do you hear that, church? That's what it looks like. When I think about what that tiny girl did for her daddy, I can't help but think that that's exactly what Christ did for all of us. He came and fell down beside us on a cross. He came to a humanity who had been made least by the powers of sin and death, causing us to hate one another and kill one another for no reason but to have what someone else has. And he laid us He laid down beside us on the cross to be lifted before us and to draw him to himself. 
that little girl did was show us the love of Christ. May God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit continue to work in us, conform in us to the image of Christ our King, renewing our hearts to be willing to serve Jesus by be willing to do what that little girl did, to fall down in the hurt of others and love them. Amen.